Hi, my name is Meg, and welcome to the brand new podcast I am launching called Extraordinary Women. Women all around us are doing amazing, incredible things, and we are here to share those stories together. My first guest on the Extraordinary Women podcast is the amazing Alex Picard. Alex is an audiobook narrator, an actress, a mom, a college professor, a runner, and most importantly, well, maybe not most important, but a really good friend of mine. She is also one of the funniest people I have ever met. Today, she shares with us her journey of over 20 years of acting, her life as a runner, and how balance is just not a real thing. I hope you enjoy it as much as I love talking to her. This is like talking to a friend. So it's like, I don't even need to really, because we are friends. It is not like talking to a friend. It is that we're talking to a friend. So um, I am here with Alex. Alex is our first guest on Extraordinary Women Podcast, and I'm so excited. Yay! That's nuts. First guest. That is nuts. First guest. Yes. Yes. So Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, what, do you want, what do you want the audience to know? What is the most, <laughs> what is your, what are you doing now? What are you um, doing for work, employment, and then we'll kind of get into the nitty gritty. Love it. So I am a professional audiobook narrator. That is what I do full time. Um, I sit in a very small room and talk out loud to myself all day long. <laughs> it's like a dream come true. <laughs> um, but uh, right up until last year, I was a theater educator for 23 years or so. Um, and I taught uh, well, I helped out at the middle school level. I taught at the high school and college level, mostly college for about 14 of those years. So that's know. amazing. As an educator myself, I know that's right? a, like that's a commitment. That 20, you're like, whoa. <laughs> I know when your kids grow up, when the kids grow up and they start to come back and see you and they're like, I have my own kids. You no, know, and I have, I am friends um, on some social media with some of my very first students. Like when I was, I was 24 years old, like who, who shoved me in a classroom when I was 24 and said, yeah, you've got this was out of their minds. Like, <laughs> I had not a clue what I was doing. Um, and I'm friends with some of those students now, and they're just doing these phenomenal things. They're having families and they're, they're just, you know, the stuff that they've left school to go and do is just mind boggling. And um, um, one of my former students was just in that, I was watching that rom-com on Netflix, the Your Place or Mine, because I just wanted something mindless that I could watch. I was tired. And I like, I jumped out of my couch. And I went, holy crap, that's the Yanti. <laughs> I know that person. And it's just, it's so, it was so amazing to see one of my students just up there doing her thing, you know, and so many of them, I'm, I'm in touch with a lot of them, not all of them, obviously, but, um, but with a lot. And it's really, it's really something seeing what they've gone on to do. It's really wild. Yes. Yes. And you helped, I'm sure. Well, in their journey along the way. <laughs> yes. I'm sure that you were a really integral part of that. Yes, you were. Don't discount yourself. You were an important part of that journey. Yes, you were. So how, how, what do you feel was most influential 
in getting to where you are or to becoming a theater teacher because that's what you started with first, right? Yeah, I did. Um, and and I've always I've always been drawn to the theater. I was, you know, I was that kid who was in all the school plays, right? I was usually like the third spear holder from the right or something like that in a lot of <laughs> school plays. Or if somebody needed an old lady, like I was really good at that. Like I was not playing the ingenues. I was the old lady in the musical or the character actor or that kind of stuff. But um, I'd been doing them forever. And I think that um, nobody in my family, they support what I do and they love what I do, but they don't understand what I do because there's not a lot of creative types in my family. There's a lot of teachers and you know, doctors and like all kinds of amazing professionals doing all kinds of amazing things, but nobody did what I did. And so I think what it was is that at a very early age, because my family will tell jokes about it all day long, I I have always had big feelings, just really big feelings. And um, if I needed to cry, I cried. And if I wanted to yell, I yelled. And if I was angry, I was angry. And if I was happy, I was really happy. Um, but I have spent my life in constant care and keeping and practice of my feelings. And I think that's what makes me good at what I do. You know, um, I love digging into what other people are going through. You know, I'm empathetic in that way as well. So that's, it's easy for me to sort of like, I feel a lot of other people's stuff. I've got to be very careful about how much news I watch because I just, I feel all the things and I feel the weight of those things. But I think it also gives me, you know, when you're in constant practice of feeling those things and you're not shoving all of that down or pushing it aside or, you know, thinking I'll get to those feelings later, you get better and better at controlling them. And that's really key for what I do, right? Like I, um, I think that's always been a real asset of mine. I, I, for a really long time, hated that I had big feelings like absolutely despised it. I, it just was too much of a cause for, you know, people would make fun of me, you know, jokes about, you know, if you need somebody to cry, go get her, you know, like that kind of stuff. Um, and and all the teasing that can go with having big feelings. And also people just telling me that I was too much, too loud, too big, too, too much of everything. And uh, um, I remember once, and I was kind of, I was in my, I had to have been like my late 20s being shushed at a party. And I was like, it's a party. <laughs> Don't shush me, <laughs> you know? But I, and I, I always, there was like an amount of shame that was kind of tied into all of that. So if there was this really long period of time where while I was very good at having feelings, I felt badly for having them. And it's only really in the last decade or so that that has shifted for me. There's no way I'd be where I am. There's no way I could narrate these audiobooks. There's no way I could have taught theater for that many years if I wasn't in constant care and keeping of my feelings and in, in, in practice of having them, you know? So while it may have annoyed <laughs> others, um, I, I really come into terms with it. I even, um, I have an LLC that I started to, you know, because I, I run my own business with freelance with audiobook narrating and um, when it came time to um, to name the LLC, I named it Not Too Loud Productions because I've just decided finally that I am not too loud. Mm. No, you're not. As somebody who report card after report card um, <laughs> had teacher right. make comments that Megan needs to use her indoor voice while we're inside, <laughs> I feel that down to my soul. And I, you know, I think I mean, hundred percent. I think there are a lot of women out there that do, because if we are in constant 
practice of our feelings, we're always being called out for it. You know, maybe not always, but often, right? You know, there's the, these, there's this, you know, impression that we have to give that we're in control of all of these feelings and that being out of control of them makes us less than or weak or unintelligent or any of the things people perceive feelings to be associated with, you know, and I think there's a ton of people who can identify with that, you know, but, but I, I don't, I don't want to be in that number anymore. I want to be in the number that is in agreement that I am, I'm not too loud. I am exactly the way I'm supposed to be and people will either be drawn to it or they won't. And the people that aren't, they can go. <laughs> I'm not that's for that. exactly right. That's okay. They can go find, you know, I think it's Elise Myers. that says, go find less. Go find less. That's right. Go find less. Mm -hmm. You can go do that um, because I am quite enough. But that that was a long time coming. But yeah, I guess really long answer to your short question <laughs> is that it's that it's that I've just always had big feelings. I think that's, it, it was a natural uh, choice of career for me. I've always wanted to be a storyteller of some kind. The most important thing to me, whether I'm narrating or whether I'm on stage or, you know, or in a shoot or anything like that, it's, I just want to tell good stories to people who really want to hear them. That's the most important thing. I don't need to be well-known. I don't need to, <laughs> you know, have the prestige that sometimes comes with that stuff. I just want to tell good stories to people who really want to hear them. I love that so much. We're here to listen, Alex. We're here to listen. So <laughs> what do you, so you talk about your family and maybe not really quite understanding, you know, what you're doing or your interests. <laughs> um, as someone who has no entrepreneurs in my family, I totally get that, right? Um, so how do you feel like that naturally progressed into becoming an educator? So you went to school for theater, right? So how do you think that that, that tied in? Oddly enough, I think it always has been there. Um, and, and, and again, my, my family, they're always fascinated by what I do, which I love. Like I love when I get together with them, they always have questions about what I do because it's fascinating to them. And I love that. Like, I think that's amazing. Like, keep asking me questions. I will go all day. Right. But um, I actually went to school to be a teacher. So my undergrad degree is in education um, because I was that kid who like grabbed all her stuffed animals and asked my teacher for extra copies of papers and would fill them out and correct them with red pen and like, set them out amongst, like I, I played that a lot. There was also something, there's they, those two things have always been sort of entwined for me. I have a hard time when there's, when one of them is missing, right? Either the education part or the acting part. Um, so I actually got my undergrad degree um, in education, elementary education, oddly, which I never taught a day in my life. <laughs> I, taught, <laughs> I taught high school and I taught um, college, but I never, never really taught uh, elementary school. And then um, at the end of my college career, um, I had been really heavily involved in the theater department, right? And I had, I had taken whatever classes I could manage to fit in my schedule. And I had done um, all of the productions that they would allow me to be a part of. And somewhere towards where I was about to graduate, one of my professors, Catherine Doherty, came up to me and said that I should go to Erdos, which is this, um, it's called the University Residence Theater Association, I believe. Um, it's been a minute. Um, and basically, it's a huge cattle call for grad school. Right. And you go to New York and you do um, two minute audition, two contrasting pieces of a minute a piece. 
in front of two people. And if they like you, they pass you on to the next round. And if you get to the next round, you do those same two pieces again in front of a room full of people that work for these colleges and universities across the country. And then that night, this is back in like the late 90s, so times have changed. That night you would go to this hotel in New York and, and you had a list of appointments on your piece of paper. And you would go up to these people's hotel rooms, which they would like never do now, right? And you would sit with these people in their hotel rooms and they would interview you or talk to you or ask you to do another piece or something like that. And then you would just wait. And I thought she was nuts when she said you should go. <laughs> um, but I did. I did because she believed in me. And I was so in awe of her and what she was capable of that I... I just bought into it. If she thought I could do it, then I could do it. Right. So, so I went to New York and I did it and I got passed through and, and that's how I got into grad school. So I, um, I went to grad school for free, which was lovely. <laughs> so wow. the exchange was, is that I taught for them. So it really worked out kind of beautifully. So I would teach classes for them and then in, in return and, and I would get a stipend and in return, I got a master of fine arts. So. Wow. That's an amazing story. I had no idea. Yeah, it was it was fast. It was really fascinating because it was just bizarre. And I, I'm, I'm convinced to this day that I made it through that first round because I accidentally got locked in a room and I think they just felt bad. <laughs> or stage manager was like trying to get me like the, the I was locked away from the people that were supposed to adjudicate me. It was it was hysterical. It's like a, a comedy of manners. But um, yeah, so my my getting into grad school, I, I graduated college and a week later I was like I was applying for teaching jobs and elementary schools. And then I got this phone call one day out of the blue. It was a Tuesday. I don't know why I remember that, but it was. <laughs> and they said, do you want to come in the fall? And I said, yeah. So, you know, three years later, I had a terminal degree in my field, which was huge. That opened every door, you know, and that training was, it was mind blowing. It was so good. You know, it was, it was, it reminded me that I was this whole person, that I wasn't just my feelings, I was a voice and I was a body. And when I used all of those things in, you know, in concert together, that something even better could come out, you know, everything that had been instinct up until that point then became technique and, um, and drive and understanding. And that, and that, that really opened up the whole world for me, you know, and then I came back to, I came back to Boston because somebody said to me once, because I grew up in Boston, somebody said to me once, um, don't work where you don't want to live. And I didn't like Chicago, which is <laughs> two hours north of where I went to grad school. So I was like, I should probably go back to the East Coast. So I did. And uh, a hot minute after I got back from graduate school, I was, you know, looking for work. I was substitute teaching during the day for, you know, part-time work, like, you, you know, because it's a great way to, I can still get to an audition or whatever. And I got this phone call that there was this classroom. Um, that needed a, a sub and possibly a long-term sub and could you come in? And I went in at noon and it was a, for a theater position. I went in at noon, I started teaching at one and I taught at that high school for three years. Wow. It, yeah, and then um, and then I left that high school. I was gonna go back to Illinois, that didn't work. I, I decided not to, I came back out here. And then um, I was working for the ed department of a theater company in Boston. And I got this call one day saying, hey, we had your resume on file from years ago. You know, could you come in and interview? And it was for another high school in the Boston area. And I 
uh, got that and worked there for three years. <laughs> so, you know, I love this. The universe just opening doors. It, it really has been, but I really think that, you know, I don't remember who it was that said that, um, that there's no such thing as luck, that it's just a uh, hard work meeting opportunity. And mm-hmm. I, I really believe that because I feel like my life has been like that, right? Something always comes along and I just have to be willing to say yes to the thing that comes along. Right. So each of these jobs opened and I went and then um, like a week before I got married, I got an email that said, hey, we have this opening at this college <laughs> that I went to school at. So I was like, I know this place. I would love to teach there. And um, and so I went and I taught there. And and that was, you know, another 14 or so, maybe more years, you know, so something has always come along. And then the audiobook thing, you know, it, it all comes along right when you need it. You know, these moves and these shifts, they, they just seem to, I have like, I have a hard time trusting that when it's in the moment and you're panicking about what's next and bills and all of that, but something has always come along. Yeah. Sometimes you, it's just a matter of like taking the leap and trusting, right. Even if yeah. you are not really sure that's, yeah, that's a, that's well, a really hard thing to do. I mean, as somebody who's been teaching for 16 years, it's, it is, it's, it's not easy to, to make a big shift because your identity has been. Yeah. So long a teacher, you know, like you introduce yourself. I'm Meg, I'm an art teacher. Yeah. Like that's the first that. thing I always say. Yeah. 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 I remember somebody said to me once, it's funny. I always just called myself a teacher. And I remember somebody asked me, I think we were at a race. I think we were running about to run a race. And somebody was like, what do you do? And I was like, oh, I teach. And then a friend of mine said, you don't just teach. You're a college professor. Tell people you're a college professor. And I was like, yeah, I probably should say, yeah, I'm actually a college guy too. Because then, then what do you teach? I teach college. Oh, that's like, it's like, you know, we always find ways to undersell ourselves, right? And mm-hmm. I, I am, uh, I'm, a, I'm real good at that. So like, I'm very good at underselling myself, but um, trying to embrace, you know, what you're good at is complicated, you know, um, and how our relationship with our own success is complicated. And I think it ebbs and flows and some days, you're like, I am the best at what I do and nobody <laughs> can do what I do like I do. And then other days you're like, I'm just going to stay in bed today because 5 million people are better than me. And why should I even bother, you know? Yeah, and imposter and syndrome that, is real. It really is. And I, and, and I think that's okay. I think it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's okay to sit in what's not right. You know, I am um, because of all these feelings I've always been in practice of, I think that it's important to, you know, to avoid what can be sometimes like toxic positivity, you know, that if things suck, then it's okay to sit there for a minute and be like, wow, this sucks, <laughs> you know, and let it be and feel those things because then you can process it and then you can move past it. And then you can get into what is positive and good, which you know is still there, but you're not ready to access it, right? You're just, you need a minute in, you know, with a pint of ice cream and, and a, <laughs> yeah. You know, and some real good chocolate and and some feelings. And then when you're done with that, then then you can move on, I think, in a much more, you know, committed way to that which is going to be better. Right. And you know, all right, I dealt with that. Now I can go. Now I can do what I do because I know I can do it. So I am gonna detour a little bit from from the theater conversation because I just sort of want to jump in. So thinking about processing stuff, uh, we met through running essentially, which is is how we, how we met. And so let's just, let's just chat about that for a minute. So talking about processing feelings, I know 
that um, when I'm out for a run or a walk or I'm doing yoga, that is where I often process a lot of what is going on in my life, right? Pounding the pavement one step at a time. So how has running been a part of your life? And you, you are a marathoner. Yeah. You are a marathoner <laughs> and, um, by choice, by choice yeah, on purpose. Not yes. <laughs> and so, um, how do you feel like that, like correlates or maybe doesn't correlate with like your work? Is that like a, something that you just do like for fun? Is that, you know, recreationally, are you a competitive person? No. You know, do you feel like that's just a <laughs> completely different thing from the theater or it is different but it's related right it's very different but it is very much related for me so there is um I only started I started running really late in my life I was not a runner I in fact asked if I could be the goalie for the lacrosse team in high school because I didn't want to run so (laughs) this was not something that I really like chased down I remember I was visiting my mother who lived in Florida at the time I was visiting my mother and um I went over to my grandmother's house because there was this treadmill in there and I was like, I'm just going to go walk in the treadmill because it was like a million degrees, like, you know, Florida was like hot and sticky and gross. And I was like, oh, I just want to like my kids were little, little, little. And I just needed a hot minute to myself. And I got on the treadmill and I started to walk and then I started to jog and I had no idea why. And then all of a sudden I was really close to having jogged a full mile. And I, I, remember, I remember being in my grandmother's house that, you know, there was water out the window with this huge smile on my face going, oh my God, I've had, I ran a mile. Like I just, I was beyond thrilled. Like I actually, this is so embarrassing to admit, but maybe not. I pumped my hands in the air. I was like, when I hit the mile, I was like, yeah, like I had like a little party in there for myself. And I thought to myself, well, if I can do that, could I do two? And so that started it. I used the couch to 5k and I did my first three miles and that sent me to my first 5k which then took me to my first 10K, which then took me to my first half marathon. And every time I crossed a finish line, it felt the same as it did when I ran the one mile. And that was my favorite thing about running is that when I crossed the finish line of my marathon, which was in 2020, so my finish line was like fabricated. Like like a bunch of amazing people in my life showed up for me that day and created a finish line for me. Um, And they all cheered and these wonderful women ran with me, practically carrying me the last point, you know? Um, But that, that finish line felt no different. The pride felt no different than that first mile. And that is my, has always been my favorite thing about running. And anytime I, I love that running to me is so different. It's a different mindset and everything from the work that I do, but it has everything to do with the work that I do because running reminds me all the time. It humbles me. It reminds me what I am capable of. It reminds me that I am worth the time and energy that it takes to get it done, but it always, it always reminds me to keep going. You know, the, the, the thing that I think is the most frustrating thing about running is like, you can run a marathon. So I ran a marathon it was great. And then I got injured and then I couldn't run. And I really honestly have not run much since on and off, you know, and I, I miss it. I miss it so much. And that's, I think probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Right. Because it's just a reminder. Like I, I run now and I'm so much slower than I used to be. 
and it's so much harder than it used to feel. And I'm, I'm not at all where I was with running as I was then. But I know that it's possible to get there because I once ran a mile on a treadmill in my grandmother's house, right? So I know that I am capable of getting back to that. And that I sometimes I just need to extract all of that about running and put it <laughs> into what I do every day, right? And and just take a minute to say, no, you can, that, that may have sucked, but this, you can do this and you will get back there and you will get to what you need and that you are capable of more than you know. And that every time you hit that little landmark, you'll you'll take the next one and you'll reach that and then you'll the bar will raise and you will reach that and it will just keep raising and you will keep reaching. And, you know, for those reasons, like I'm still, I'm, I've never been like, I am a back of the pack runner, which I think is where the party is. But like, <laughs> I love, <laughs> that's my favorite thing. You know, I'm not, I'm not in it to win. I'm in it to do it. And I'm in it to just, you know, and I've said to you a million times before, I just want to do the thing. I want to do the thing that I set out to do. Do the thing. You know, and and I've used that phrase a lot with you and with other members of the um, of HTA and, and talked about, you just need to do the thing sometimes. And sometimes doing the thing is scary. Like leaving my job recently was really terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. And I have heard a million people say, everything that you want is on the other side of fear. I've heard it said a million times, you know, famous actors and actresses, right? Like it's on, it's on like, you know, those pretty little Instagram things that people make on Canva. It's like, you know, it's everywhere. Everything right. you want. Is on the side of magnets, fear. magnets, bumper stickers, whatever. And I've always heard it and I never really bought it. I never really bought it. I really like, I was like, yeah, whatever. It's on the other side of fear. What the hell could possibly be on the other side of this much fear? <laughs> and then I had to go through it and there is there is nothing false about that bumper sticker. <laughs> it's just mm. everything that I'd always wanted was on the other side of that fear. I was so scared to leave stability. I was so scared to leave what I arguably knew I was good at to, <laughs> to start something else. You know, I was scared about freelancing, um, owning my own business. I was scared to death about all of it. And now I'm on the other side of that. And while it's not easy and there are different battles, those battles are mine. They're created by me, right? Like I, I, I run my day. I run my schedule. Um, I am present for who I need to be present for when I need to be present for them. And nobody else is dictating when I get to be present for the people I want to be present for. And I must feel so empowering. Right. It, it, it's just, it's a whole new world. You know, both of my kids, since I left the job, pulled me aside within, like, in the course of a couple of months, privately. Like, they didn't, you know, they didn't like, hey, mom, we need to talk to you. It, just casually talking, saying, you're better now. Mm. And I just, like, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> so do you feel like stepping away from your position as a teacher has allowed you to truly step into your authentic self. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And I think that it was, it was always there. Right. And it just needed a nudge. And, you know, when you've taught that long, there were just, I was starting to get to a point where I didn't want to start to feel like I was just sending in another syllabus. Right. I didn't want to get to that point where it was like, Oh, I've taught this class a million times. It doesn't need to be revised. It doesn't need to be changed. It, 
you know, I, I never wanted to be that, you know, and I could feel that starting to creep in. And I just, I didn't, I wanted to leave while I still was innovative and, you know, trying new things and challenging myself. But I think there also comes a point in, in, in when you're doing some things that you're like, I've, I've met these challenges. I need new challenges. I need something else and something new and something different to exercise all these other muscles that have just been sort of sitting there waiting, you know, and now I'm out exercising those muscles and they're exhausted, but, <laughs> but it's good. And it, it feels, um, you know, whatever stress and hardships I'm dealing with now, it's different. It just feels different. You know, they're ones that you're, they're, they're struggles and hardships of growth and change and challenge, new challenges, like really new challenges for me um, and expanding my mind in ways that I just haven't, you know? Yeah, I do feel that more people in their late 30s, 40s, even 50s are feeling that. Yeah. They either they're more uh willing to make a change, a complete job change. I don't know if it's was COVID or you know, call it what you will, just a, you know, shift in society, but I do feel like more and more people are willing to pivot and yeah. just do go back to school, do something completely different and I think that's completely amazing. I, I it's, you know, I don't think we're meant to do something for 40 to 50 years of our life. <laughs> I mean, I just, there's joy there, then yes, do thing yes. for 40 to 50 years, if there's joy there, right? But I think you're absolutely right. And I think it had everything to do with COVID because COVID disrupted that which we would not disrupt on our own. It made us stop going to work. It forced us. <laughs> to slow it, down. It made us slow down. It made us spend time with people. It, it, stuff that you would, you, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. And all the same people were doing it. They were baking sourdough bread. Like it was their the only job out there in the world. Like I never understood that because I had no desire to bake sourdough bread, but I was like, get down with your baking selves. Like let's do this. Like they were renovating their entire house, you know, all of that, but like it, it absolutely forced people to do that. And when you're forced into a different perspective, you see what you've been missing and you see what you've, you know, what that like sort of hamster wheel of getting up and going every day what happens when you get off for a little bit <laughs> and I think people just decided well, I, I want more of this you know I want more mm -hmm. of the time with family or the time with friends or 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 there was just it was just such a massive loss for the world that it's just you know this recognition of what you want to do with your time and how you want to spend it and I I think that has everything to do with so many people just leaving jobs now and going out to do mm -hmm. what they've always wanted to do right and and i mean it was an awful tragedy can also be a really unique gift you know? I, I agree and i think that also even if people are in the same positions because they they do love what they're doing i find that employers are being more flexible absolutely work from home you know hours and all that stuff and they know that family is really important and i think that was a huge thing that came out of covid is that people are truly realizing that you know uh, i say at the end of every one of my yoga classes that each day that we open our eyes and can put our feet on the earth is a gift and, and what are you using with the time that you have? Because yeah. it's not meant to wake up and go to work and sit in a cubicle and leave at five o'clock, go home and make dinner, take a shower and do the same thing all over again. It's just not. 
yeah, it needs to be broken up a little bit with all this other stuff, this amazing stuff that we can, you know, we can do hobbies and, you know, other pursuits and uh, things we want to spend our time on, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's been an eye-opening experience and it's still hard. I mean, even, um, even today I was like, oh, I gotta, you know, I've got to, I have to send this invoice and I've got to do like, there was all this business stuff I had to do this morning. So I'm grateful to talk creatively because it was a real drag. (laughs) And, and there's still stuff that isn't, isn't perfect and isn't, um, isn't my favorite, but it's, I, I, I don't think I'd trade it. I don't think I'd trade it for the world really. You know, I mean, I've never, I'm never around when my kids have school vacation, they're upstairs right now, you know? So I'm, I'm here all week, <laughs> you know, they're doing their own thing. They're doing their own thing. And I may have work to do, but I'm still, I'm here. I'm in the house. They've got questions. I'm there. If they need something, I'm there. You know, it's, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole nother. Thing. Yeah. It's about finding balance. It is. It is. I mean, I, I think that like, I've, you know, and I'm a Libra. So like balance is like, <laughs> the scales decisions are my kryptonite. Right. <laughs> And I, I don't think I've ever had balance. Um, so I just, I just seek like um, a, an attempt at balance, right? Like I, I remember reading this uh, article once it was an interview with a director named um, Zelda Fitchlander. And she, you know, she was asked a question that many women get asked and many men do not. And this article was a long time, like the interview was a long time ago now, but um, they asked her, how do you direct these Broadway shows, all of these magnificent shows and still have time to be a mother and a, you know how do you balance the working mother thing and her response was i address the loudest need first mm-hmm. and i have loved that since the minute i read it because it really helped me figure out what is loudest my kids fever of 102 mm-hmm. is louder than that tech rehearsal now so i've got to go put my attention there right this tech rehearsal is louder <laughs> yeah students need me more then my children need me right now. So I'm going to put my energy here. It made it a lot easier for me to figure out where I needed to put my focus and my attention. And, and that language really helps me. What's the loudest need? You know, not what I think has to get done, <laughs> right? Or what right. I think, right? what is loudest in my ear? What's telling me, no, you have to pay attention to me, to this. Um, and that, that really helps. That really helps. Because Yeah, it's just an ebb and flow. It is. It's like some yeah. things, you know, sometimes work is your top priority. And then sometimes yeah. when your kids are sick, it's your kids. And it's just, yeah, it just, you know, it's like, it comes in waves, just like yeah. the ocean. It always does, you know? So I think, I think um, in some ways balance is unattainable, but it's right. Like, well, but it's, you know, you always, even when you're balanced, you're just kind of gently rocking back and forth, trying to find center, you know? And if that's where you're at, then fine. That sounds like balance to me. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, you got a lot of stuff going on and it was, it's, I, I just, I truly think you are extraordinary, Alex. I mean, really, I just, your story is incredible. You are inspiring. So inspiring. And, um, do you have any parting words of wisdom to wrap this, to wrap this up? Or maybe you can tell us, um, what your favorite ice cream is too. (laughs) Oh, mint chocolate chip every day and twice on Sunday. Um, there you go. There you favorite. go. Always, always. I used to like to get it with the sprinkles at Brigham's when I was a kid. That was my favorite. 
I mean, like any words of wisdom for maybe somebody who might be, you know, your story is really unique in that you've, you know, you transitioned out of teaching into something else. I'm sure there are a lot of teachers that are listening. I'm one of them about (laughs) just taking a chance and really pivoting and, and doing something else. Any maybe words of wisdom? Yeah, I think that everything that made me a good teacher, right? My creativity, my ability to pivot at a moment's notice, <laughs> right? Um, change that lesson plan on your feet as something happens in your classroom. Uh, um, that collaboration, uh, coordination, organization, all of those things, you know, empathy for your students, all of that stuff that made you and made me a good teacher will make you good at change. You know, you're built for it already. And um, it's so hard to leave students. You know, that was the hardest part. I Jobs you can leave. Students, it just feels nearly impossible. And every time I left a job, a teaching job, I was broken about leaving students. Especially if they were sort of in the, right, they weren't graduating or something. They're in the middle of it. I hate, <laughs> it feels like unfinished work right? That you're leaving behind. Um, but it is, yeah, you guys can't see me, but I'm shaking my head. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is um, as hard as it is to leave them. It is so important that we be students too. And I don't think that teachers get the opportunity to do that as much as they should. Um, and not just students of, you know, whatever professional development were being offered, you know, which was, you know, those were never my favorite days. Um, <laughs> they always take the theater teachers and they're like, I don't know, go talk together. And you're like, great, thanks. <laughs> the art teachers, right? Like, I can relate. In the corner, right? Um, but we're, we're kind of, we're, we're built for this kind of change, right? We, we are capable of quick change. We are, are capable of um, thinking out of the box, finding creative solutions, working with others to get what we need. And teachers are really good at asking for help. Um, and you need that. I, I think that that is, you have to ask for help, you know, and, and I have, I have done that more in this last year. I have reached out for more help from more people this past year than I think I have in ages. And it is never a surprise and also a total shock to me <laughs> how everybody is just so willing to help. Mm-hmm. I don't get this. Do you get this? Have you worked with this person before? Do you know how to do this? Do you know how to do this? And people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. give me a minute. You know, I'll jump on Zoom with you or I'll talk to you or I'll answer your question or, or, or whatever it is. And it's, you know, the audiobook community itself is an, an amazing community. It is, it is, I thought the running community was great. Audiobooks will give it a run for <laughs> joking it is just a phenomenal group of people but that's you know asking for help is is um is so hard and so important but I think teachers are more prone to do it like I can't figure this out let's figure out this problem for this student we're really good at that you know so I guess if anything um it you know it, it's terrifying <laughs> like I still think about it mm-hmm. it is absolutely terrifying I'm not going to sugarcoat that it's terrifying it is fearful. It kept me awake nights. I did not sleep. I uh, made myself physically ill. Still worth it. Still worth it. Go do the thing. Just do the thing. Whatever that thing is, the small thing, a big thing, a life change, a 
you know, finding a minute to yourself, do the thing. It's, it, it is always worth it. And it's never too late. No, never too late. I mean, goodness, I'm 47. Never too late. His career is like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but it isn't, it's not too late. And nobody looks at me and goes, geez, aren't you a little long in the tooth to be like, you know, <laughs> careers and doing, not one person ever said that to me. It was in my head, you know, they were like, yeah, well, of course you're doing this. And I'm like, right. Because, <laughs> you know. Right. So Alex, tell everybody where they can find you. Oh, so you can find me. Um, <laughs> my website is alexpicard.com. Um, where you can find all of her amazing narrated audiobooks. You can. Well, you can, yeah, you can search Alex Picard on Audible and, and Libro FM or wherever you listen to audiobooks and you can find um, my books there. Um, I'm on Instagram at It Sounds Like Alex and TikTok on occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if I could do TikTok, but. It's pretty fun. I, um, it, yeah. uh, I just try to not get sucked in. Um, it sounds yeah, like down the rabbit hole. Um, and uh, and Twitter, it sounds like Alex is no Alex Picard twenty four on Twitter. Um, that's where I'm at. But that's where you can find me, and I'm 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 on there fairly regularly. I'm always um, you know letting people know when a book is released or something you know exciting is going on or mundane even. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was amazing listening to your story. I love you so much. I love you. As a friend, as a narrator, you're just an incredible woman. Extraordinary. I'm so (laughs) humbled. I'm so honored. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for being here. If you know an outstanding, extraordinary woman that you think would be perfect for this podcast, please reach out extraordinarywomennh at gmail.com or find us on Instagram, extraordinarywomenpodcast. Podcast.